This is On Mike with Jordan Rich, the podcast dedicated to conversation with people who have something to say. And I love sitting down with authors, particularly mystery writers, who hail from other parts of the world, including today's guest, James Murphy. He lives in Northern Ireland, and the setting is where he bases his trilogy of novels, The Terror Trilogy. Dark Light, the final book in the trilogy, was published in November of 2020. The books in the series feature a crafty psychopathic killer and an unlikely group of budding detectives who face him down. James Murphy is first and foremost an educator, and he holds active directorship of Merlin Arts CIC in the Northern Ireland Festival of Writing, where he and his co-founders work to improve the lives of others through the power of writing. He's hosted a hugely successful podcast, A Life of Crime Writing. A friend of mine took his writing course and loved it, which is why we have James on the show. So let's go overseas for this one. Say hello to James Murphy and welcome him as we go on mic. Well, James, welcome to my podcast. I've been listening to some of yours and you're on the radio and you're a big time novelist. Was this where you thought you'd end up at this point in your life? At this point in my life, it is probably as far away as you could possibly get <laughs> to where I thought I would end up. <laughs> I, I started out my career in, in education. Um, and by luck or chance or whatever you, you want to call it, I ended up at the, at the top of my profession before I reached, I think, 29 years old. I was mm. a school principal. Mm. So 10 year, fast forward 10 years and, and take into account burnout and all that sort of stuff. And I started writing for a little bit of fun. And then fast forward a little bit more, I'm now kind of obviously on my fourth book and we're looking at podcasts and as you say the radio show as well so no <laughs> well i'll very, say very different time <laughs> i'll say this though your training in english has you turn a phrase as well as any novelist and it's really fun reading as well as the plot lines that are fun it's it's the style and i congratulate you on that Oh, thank you so much. That's nice to hear. Yeah. Um I mean from my point of view probably like every writer I suffer hugely from imposter syndrome. So to hear someone who's read the books come along and someone who I know is an avid reader like yourself um to say that is is more of a compliment than you than you'll realize. People say, "Oh, they're can't possibly be any mystery that that we haven't thought up or that hasn't been part of the lexicon, but yet you came up with something new. And uh, let's talk about the Terror Trilogy. Uh, I read the first one and loved it because it's so different in terms of who's solving this case and, and who the villains are and all that kind of stuff. It's it's Everything about it is unique, at least for me as a reader. Yeah, um, I mean, I suppose the, the Terror Trilogy, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was all about I suppose, identity and exploring identity. And I didn't realize that. For me, it was about experimenting as a new writer. And I had this idea about, um, you know, a fledgling serial killer, um, but also a fledgling detective um, being put on their path, if you like. So both were kind of new to what they were doing. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting concept, although some of it, I'll, I'll be honest, happened by accident. Um, and then in my time as a head teacher, um, I was working with a what could probably be described as a religious sect. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very much aware of, you know, how media can report religious sects in terms of um, perhaps being cults and so on. So I was always kind of researching that and kind of staying on top of it. 
and that found its way into the, the story as well because our our fledgling detective in in trying to find this serial killer actually stumbles upon um a cult movement and of course you, you don't do that easily and without um retribution so he found himself with with two dangerous um villains if you like on his tail yeah it's said that you write what you know and uh, your hero mark is in education to begin with he's involved in a school and then he uh, inherits his way into his uh, uncle's investigative division if you will investigative company so it's it's a nice way to bring a detective along in a new way and he's fumbling and bumbling because he's new at this at first yeah completely and i think the other the other thing about it is that the not just that he's new to it, but he has a very, you know, strong family connection to um, one of the first victims mm-hmm. of, of terror in the in the terror trilogy. So he he has a vested interest where other people like the, you know, the, the police force within the book, for example, um, they didn't have so much of a vested interest and they had, um, I suppose, issues with their budget and so on. So it just wasn't important enough for them. Whereas for him, it was. And then it obviously um, spiraled into into something much bigger, I think, than even he anticipated. We should mention the Terror Trilogy titles uh, and talk a little bit about who Terror is, because you mentioned the serial killer. And it's not like the terror movement worldwide. This is one guy who's spreading a lot of terror. What are the titles of books? And then we'll talk about Terror. Yeah, so the, the the first book is called The Rise of Terror, which obviously charts his um, development or his incarnation, if you like, as a serial killer. And that's followed by The Terror Within. Um, and because I like to kind of shake things up a little bit, you would think the last book would, would have the word terror in it too. Uh. Um, but no, it's called Dark Light. <laughs> so it's a trilogy that people will want to check out. The man in question here, and I'm not giving anything away, also has an occupation, a somewhat respectful occupation in the press. It's a perfect spot for a serial killer to sort of hide out, isn't it? Right in plain sight. Yeah, it, exactly right. It, it is hiding in plain sight. And I think... Um, again, without giving too much away, he has some kind of high-profile political connections as well, um, which possibly mm. makes it even easier for him to, to hide in plain sight. And I really like that idea. But, um, I mean, when I was sitting down to write the books, I thought, obviously, I'm from Northern Ireland. We know what the, what Northern Ireland is most famous for in terms of its its history, its trouble history. And I am of the kind of post-conflict kind of generation. So I was very determined um, that actually the Troubles would not feature in any of these books whatsoever. Mm. And I think I managed to get about eight chapters in before they, they it, you know, it was invariable that <laughs> it was going to come in there. <laughs> well, I, I will say this, and you and I were chatting before starting the recording. Uh, having visited Ireland, uh, actually Southern and Western Ireland, a couple of years ago, I fell in love with the place. But I fell in love with Northern Ireland based on your description of the of the settings. I thought it was just an amazing place. Interesting people, interesting sights. I didn't get that feeling at all that it was a troubled land. I there were troubled people <laughs> and dangerous people, but I, f- I felt uh, almost like a uh, like a welcome mat had opened up for me to Northern Ireland. Have other have other readers said the same thing? Yes, I have. I mean, particularly with um, with the U.S. audience, mm. um, 
I very much get that. Um, I think I have from from my point of view, it's the Northern Ireland that I know. I mean, I I grew up in you know a very working class area, which you know the the school that that that, that is farce investigations. You know that that is inspiring farce investigations. That was in the middle of that area, um, and that I was just writing about, like you know, as you said earlier on, writing about what you know. Um, and that's the Northern Ireland that I knew. I mean, I I actually grew up um, just off the Falls Road, which you know obviously is is famous for you know very different reasons. Mm. Um, but I didn't get any of that in my upbringing. You know, I just had a kind of strong family background, working class ethic, um, and that, that's what I wanted to present. You know, it, it, so by saying I didn't want to write about troubles, I it probably isn't really a troubles book. But I think because we are in a post-conflict society, particularly my generation, we are still trying to work out, you know, the the Northern Ireland around us. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. if you come to Belfast as, as a city, which I, I hope you do someday, mm-hmm. um, you'll see that it is, you know, a cosmopolitan European city, just right. like any other. Right. But for us growing up, that wasn't the case. So now I'm obviously delighted about the situation but also kind of trying to figure it out you know what happened sure <laughs> everything about the book reads like a novel that a brit or even an american might write but there are certain things besides some of the terms of art and the places and i don't have the book in front of me and maybe you can elucidate here there were certain things about the structure on the page uh some of the placement of quotation marks things like that as I recall reading it. If you were to publish this in America, would you change any of these elements? Um, I would. I mean, as you say, some of the punctuation is... Actually, that comes down to me more so as an English teacher than, uh. you know, in, in my other job, if you like. Because <laughs> I, you know, we teach the, the UK version, if you like, of punctuation. Um, and that probably shows a little bit of the naivety I had as a, as a writer, because... Actually, most UK publishers use the American style punctuation. So I actually liked it. I had no problem. I liked the fact it was a little more challenging. But I said, I'm learning something new here about how James is crafting his book in his environment. Oh, that's nice to hear. I didn't have well. a problem with it. I just thought it was interesting. I mean, you look at Cormac McCarthy, who writes here in America and without any punctuation. <laughs> so, I mean, there are cowboys <laughs> and Indians going on here uh, in the writing world. I want to uh, circle back to the book. There's one character that struck me as interesting, and that was the psychic medium. I'm looking at yes. you thinking, this guy looks like he's pretty level-headed, feet on the ground, family man, hardworking, a novelist, thinking guy. Any connection to uh, actual mediums, and have you any personal experience? Yes. Um, actually, the psychic medium in the book is based on a real person mm-hmm. um, who I know, who I have become very friendly with since writing the books. Um, and actually, the, the the reason the books came about was because of a, 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 that said psychic. I've always had an interest in kind of paranormal and and, you know, um, those kind of you, you know the kind of TV shows that I that I'm talking about. You oh, know yeah. the kind of paranormal investigations and all. That. I'm fascinated by all that. So we had um, a friend come visit us for the weekend, and she knew obviously that I was into that stuff. And she had mentioned that she'd been to see a medium and that she thought I should go. So it was kind of just 
you know, messing around chat. Um, and I accepted almost on a dare. Um, and I went to the, the, the medium guy and, you know, without getting into too much detail about the rest of the, the reading, if you like, um, he was able to tell me that I'd already came, come up with the concept for the book and I'd, you know, I'd been driving past the, the particular building, a kind of a, a derelict school building. And, you know, he was able to tell me more about the book than I kind of at that stage was consciously thinking about. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, pretty cool. So so he had said, look, this this thing needs to be written. Um, and I thought, yeah, you're right. I've been kind of thinking that subconsciously somewhere for a long time now um and if it takes a supernatural kick to get me to my <laughs> to get me to the keyboard then so be it well i'm glad that that's based on a real character because he's a terrific character in the book and in the series and he's pivotal i mean there's a lot of things that happen that they figure out naturally but it helps to have a psychic on your team as well, no question. Well, actually, one of the things that I that I was really careful about, and I hope it comes across, is that I didn't want the plot to suffer for having a psychic there. Mm -hmm. um, because it would be all too easy just to have any mystery solved by someone's psychic ability. Um, so I thought th that's a little bit of a cop-out. Um, so certainly he aids the investigation by by using his, his gift, um, but it's never a case of, you know, I didn't want it to be just too obvious for the readers either. Yeah. Um, and I'm the type of person, certainly in the first book anyway, um, I'm what they would have called a pantser. So someone who writes by the seat of their pants, essentially. Yeah. Um, there's nothing plotted. <laughs> there's nothing. You just sit down yeah. and what comes out, comes out. Yeah. Um, I've changed a bit since then, I must admit. Um, but that's how, you know, that aspect came. And I thought, I just, I've read so many of these books and I have to be true to the genre. So, you know, there can't be any cop-outs. So yes, he needs to be there. Um, yes, he's a, a strong character within the book, but he's not, you know, it's not going to be like Scooby-Doo kind of thing. In the States, James, the intense interest in real true crime stories is through the roof. And it's now Netflix is international as these streaming platforms are. How excited do people get in your neck of the woods about documentaries on serial killers, books like yours, things like that? Is it as much a fascination there? Yes, absolutely. I mean, crime in in its various guises is, I think, world-renowned as the most consumed genre. Um, and certainly with, with the advent of social media, and as you say, platforms like Netflix who are, who are streaming, I think it has made it all the more popular on a global level because no matter where you are in the world, obviously, if a new Netflix crime show drops, then we're all kind of getting access to, the same, to it at the same time. And we're all then taken to our social media platforms to discuss it and, and all that sort of stuff. So absolutely, I mean, it, it's huge here. Um, mm. In fact, with with my radio show, um, I have a, it's almost like a, a crime-based magazine show. Um, and I, I know that true crime is one of, you know, one of the, the major parts of it where we would have people, you know, I have one particular person, Kelly Crichton, who's also a local writer. Um, she's fascinated by true crime and she'll come on every week and, you know, we'll talk about what's big on, on 
certainly on the 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 Tourette, not terrestrial, sorry, digital TV, um, but also on streaming platforms as well. It makes the job of a crime novelist a little easier to know that the weirdest stuff is real. <laughs> and you know, you're making up stories that are amazing, but the real thing is equally amazing. And I'm sad to say there are some crazy people out there doing crazy things. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you think you, you couldn't write this. You know, some of the stuff that, that you hear and see in the news is you know, you really think it, it couldn't be true, but, you know, obviously it is. The thing that, that fascinates me in an a almost macabre way is that with myself and, and other people within the writing community, it's very often that, that if we're in a work in progress, so we're, you know, we're working through a new project, you'll find yourself writing about something and then, you know, within months, if not weeks, something very like mm. it happens in real life and you're thinking that's just bizarre yeah did i cause that <laughs> some kind not. of cosmic <laughs> kismet thing hey um the reason that you and i are speaking i might have stumbled across your books here in the states but i was introduced to you by a lovely gent who's a dear friend douglas ross who took a course online on crime writing, which I thought was fascinating, something you've been teaching for a while. Talk a little bit with me about that. What What is the course like? Yeah. Well, I mentioned to you earlier on about um, suffering from imposter syndrome. One of the things I thought to myself, obviously having a, an education background, I said to myself, you know, the only way that I'm going to rid myself of imposter syndrome hmm. is to actually go out and prove to other people that I can do this. You know, not just by the books, um, but also by actually teaching someone else and bringing them forward as a crime writer as well. Um, it was, again, it's a, a very kind of roundabout way of doing what you know. Um, you know, so I went back to my, my education background. So I approached, a few years back, I approached um, one of our local council areas here in, in Northern Ireland. Um, and I said, look, there's there's nothing like this exists locally um and you know i would quite like to do it it's one of the most consumed genres crime fiction also deals with other major issues in, in society you know i think a lot of people would benefit from this you know things like mental health and all that sort of stuff um so the the council kindly agreed and i i took on a, a class at a, a local building um just near where i live here and it it really took off. Um, so people loved it. And we did that for a couple of years. And we had new people coming each time. And actually, people who went the first time were coming back time and again. Um, every time I put a new session on. So it was, it was doing so well. And then, of course, obviously, the pandemic hit. And I thought, obviously, we're all kind of in lockdown, particularly UK. Um, and Northern Ireland, and we were just, you know, I was thinking, what am I actually going to do? We need, people need an outlet. We need something, um, and again, kind of referencing mental health and, and giving people something to think about. So I went to the Arts Council of Northern Ireland and said, look, I have this um, course that has been really successful. I would love to do something with it to, you know, bring it to the next level, but also to provide something you know some kind of outlet for people during the pandemic and the arts council i'm delighted to say um funded me to do it hmm. so i 
kind of I beefed up the course a little bit, um, and we took it online. And of course, I probably naively was thinking, you know, I would probably get maybe some of my local audience, um, you know, maybe some more from Northern Ireland. Naively, I didn't even think that obviously it could have been a worldwide phenomenon kind of thing. So we had people on there from from all over, and Doug, who you mentioned earlier on, mm. was one of those people. Yeah, um, and I'm delighted to say, obviously, he's since published a book himself, albeit not crime, um, but he's doing yeah. fantastically well yeah. with that, which I'm so delighted to hear. I have a question um, about teaching this kind of thing. I mean, yeah. I would imagine structure and grammar and things like that come easy to you, but what about content? What are you doing in that realm? I mean, in terms of helping somebody or teaching somebody? Well, the hardest thing, believe it or not, is actually to get them to sit down and start writing. So, and I'm thinking not just in terms of the the, the grammar and punctuation and so on, it's actually the content that, right. that they struggle with. Because people come to me and think they have an interest, obviously, in crime fiction, crime TV, films, and so on. But they don't actually really ever seem to click that writing about crime, and this sounds odd, I know, they don't seem to click that writing about crime actually involves writing about crime. Hmm. You know, so it's it's an area of, of life where you don't really want to go where you're fascinated by it. It's like, you know, seeing a um a car accident on the on the freeway or whatever. You know, you're kinda you want a rubberneck, but you know you shouldn't, that kind of thing. Um and I think a lot of people come with that attitude. So one of the, the first things I, I do now is actually um I would give them, you know, an outline of a few characters, an outline of a few situations. And on the very first night, their first task is what I call writing me a murder. <laughs> um, so they have to face it head on, you know, first right. lesson. Um, and what I found is, and I've actually ended up writing about this in my work in progress. Um, what I found is that that really breaks the ice straight away. So not only do they get into the course from, you know, lesson one, if you like, um, but also because they've had to do that together and then talk about it together, the group gels really quickly. Mm. So, you know, all the kind of confidence things, all that seems to go out the window and we, we just kind of, you know, um, metaphorically roll our sleeves up and get on with it then. <laughs> <laughs> I sense, based on your experience as a teacher, a principal, somebody who's got a thirst for education, that you're a great teacher. Doug was raving about you, thought it was a terrific course. And you're right, he didn't write a crime novel, but he wrote a business book. And uh, sometimes business and crime goes hand in hand. So maybe there's something in the future for him in that realm as well. But, uh, <laughs> well, actually, I don't know if Doug knows this or not. I, I must actually drop him a link. Um, one of the other people on the course has, since we finished, um, achieved a, a publishing deal. Mm. and have now published two crime novels in the intervening time. That must make you so proud. I was delighted. Um, oh, they, that's wonderful. The, the person actually rang me up because they were they were being offered the, the contract and they didn't know what to do. And because part of the course, I, the, the crime course as well, I look at the business of being an author and mm. the other things that you need to do. Um, so they rang up for some advice and I was just so proud that, it, you know, I just, I couldn't think straight to help them. 
Um, but I'm I'm just absolutely delighted to know that that's the case, and obviously with with Doug's book as well. It's yeah, it's, you know, it shows that a need was there. Um, right. And you know that the fact that I was able to fulfill that need, I think, it makes me hugely proud. I've got to mention that uh, I'm a big fan of European-based television shows, the Danish crime stories, the British whales. I mean, they're all over the place. And thanks to Netflix and organizations like that, I can see the Terror Trilogy turning into one wicked cool series. And I always ask writers this question. First of all, uh, if there, has there been any interest early on? But second of all, assuming that you'd have some control if somebody were to make a, a movie series out of this, do you have in your mind actors who you, you see in the various roles? Do you, do you do that when you're even writing them for the first time? Well, kind of. Um, I mean, it, in terms of the first part of your question, in ter- early interest, um, I did have a little bit of interest earlier on, but it was from a, a company who had specialized in, in, in putting together theater shows. And they uh, wanted to have the the first terror book as their their first um, film, and of course, as a newbie writer, I was really blown away by the idea. Um, but then I thought about it a little bit, and I spoke to my publisher, and I spoke to some friends, and so on. And without exception, everyone came back to me and said, "This is not a film. This is a series." Um, and it. They were right. I mean, yes, it's obviously it's a trilogy of books, but even if just one of them had been made into a film, then obviously you could have had sequels and so on. But I think there was so much, um, there was so much story for each character. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm thinking. I just watched uh, the Chestnut Man on Netflix, which is a six part series, and I'm thinking there's no way this could be a movie. There's so much going on, and I felt the same way reading your books. I'm not suggesting that you you drop everything and find a movie maker. But if there is one out there, it would be a smash in America because it's got all the elements, including the setting. I think that would be a big hit. Well, there does seem to be an appetite for, obviously, Northern Irish, you know, crime drama and so on at the moment. I mean, we we have lots of stuff being filmed here. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we're very lucky in that regard. And I know you guys have seen um, series like The Fall, you know, the oh. BBC produced Fall. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, Fabulous. That, the, I've had my books compared to that quite favorably in the past, mm. which which was nice to hear. Um, but yeah, I would absolutely love to have it made into a series. And, and in terms of people who would play the parts, I didn't really ever have any actors in mind. Um, I mean, obviously, I have an idea what some of the characters in my head looked like. Um, and yes, the the terror character would not be dissimilar to Jamie Dornan's character um, in The Fall. But, I mean, for example, the, the, the character of Beth Shaw, in my head, um, she always just looked like Pink, you know, the, the, oh, the music yeah, artist. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's who I picture. So, you know, if if... Pink wants to come along and try out her Northern Ireland accent. I'm more than happy to. If if he was a little younger, maybe, but he could still do it. Colin Firth as Mark in my book. That's a good call. That is a good call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm not a casting agent, but that's that. I just felt you know he, I could see him with the pads on his sleeves like a professor. I mean that kind of thing. But really well done character studies. That's why that 
they they appeal to me in a visual sense. Well, actually, one of the things I've, I've I wanted to ask you about. I mean, there's there's references to Boston in all of the books, and more right. so as the, as they go on. Um, and I created a character, um, Michael Dean, mm-hmm. who is from Boston, and I I wondered, you know. Does that come across? I mean, do I? Obviously, I'm used to writing the kind of native Northern Irish characters. Have you ever visited here? Have you been to the city? I haven't. I ha- I would love to. I mean, Boston is on my. I've been to the states, but Boston is on my kind of bucket list of places to visit. But during the time I was writing the first book, um, we had been watching, and this is going to sound bizarre. Um, we were watching, uh. TV, I was going to say, a, a, it's almost like a fly on the wall, I think, um, kind of fake reality TV called Wahlbergers. Oh, yes. <laughs> Based on the, the Wahlberg family and their hamburger joint and the mother. Oh, my God. Yes, of yeah. course. No, so- I, I got hooked on that. Pro- Don't ask me why, but I got hooked. And one of the things I really loved about it was their dialect, you know, the, the accent that came across. And when I was writing that character, I thought this guy has to be from Boston because that's just how I imagine how he speaks. You're um, you're, you're pretty close. You're, you're close enough. Believe me, I, I know a lot of folks. I used to speak like that, too, before I went to radio school. So I know a lot of folks. <laughs> I will I will say that uh, when I was in Ireland, I couldn't believe how many people I ran into who had been to Boston. And it's almost like a sister brother relationship between the two cities Dublin and Boston are other cities. Uh, so we we welcome you anytime you want to visit here, James. You're more than welcome. I'll buy you a pint. Well, actually, what I would like to do is I've mentioned a couple of places within the book. So I would I would quite like to go and visit, you know, the, the locations that I've written about and think, Absolutely. Okay, did yeah. I do that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the research is, is good enough in my book. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for connecting with me. I, I really enjoyed the Terror Trilogy and I really invite people to read it. And you can basically find out everything about James, including the podcast, the radio, his background, uh, the course, everything at James Murphy writer.org which is a great site it's got everything you need right there thank you so much um it's been a delight i, I know we've been conversing for quite a while now via email so it's been a delight to actually see you in the flesh and chat to you in the flesh albeit virtually yes we are uh, separated by an ocean but that's just minor stuff i feel connected to you through doug and also just through reading the book and getting to meet the creator of these wonderful characters i think the terror trilogy the rise of terror which you should start with will really challenge you it's a great mystery too i mean we didn't even mention the fact that you don't know who did a lot of these things until you know it and it's really well done so congratulations my friend and uh happy to promote your fine work oh thank you so much i really appreciate it and as i say jordan lovely to talk to you Find out more about our friend James Murphy at jamesmurphywriter.org. Love the accent, by the way. The Terror Trilogy is definitely worth your time. It's a fabulous series of novels, and he's got more coming, that's for sure. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, Ken Carberry and the gang at Chart Productions, and, of course, to our growing and wonderful audience from around the world. To find out more about me and the podcast, my book, and more, visit jordanrich.com. Till we meet again, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.